0: IBC today we are starting our major minor series and with that we are going to be taking a major look at the minor profits but saying that today we're going to do something a little out of the series norm and we're not going to look at a minor profit today but we're going to take a major look at a minor book For the summer i love to take a look at some books that are often overlooked some books that are incredibly small and this book believe it or not we will preach through this entire book today and with that being said we're going to be preaching through the book of philemon it is the third shortest book that paul wrote it's the most personal book that paul wrote most scholars would say that you don't see any more emotion from paul than in the book of Philemon. And as we look at this book, we're gonna discover three major characters within the text. The first being Paul himself. Paul, at this point, is a prisoner in Rome. He's on house arrest, and he has a Roman guard with him at all times. But while he has some freedom, it does come at a cost. Paul is on house rest, meaning that he's not chained into a prison or anything like that. But rather, what he's doing is he finds himself in a situation where he's free to write. He's free to be in a comfortable home. But on the other end, the Roman government is not providing anything for him. So he's responsible, even though we can never leave his home to provide his own food, to provide funds to live and everything that goes in between. Saying that he has to have friends, he has to have people. One of those we know were Timothy, but there was another guy by the name of Onesimus. And Onesimus really is the subject matter of this text. See, Onesimus was a runaway slave he ran away and he stole from his slave owner and he makes his way to Rome. The only reason that Onesimus was making his way to Rome was he was looking for a place to hide. He didn't want to be found. Being a runaway slave, he knew that if he was found, he would be brought back to where he ran from. But saying that, he runs to Rome and he meets Paul and he finds himself talking with Paul, building a relationship with Paul. Paul leads Onesimus to the Lord. But now he has this interesting predicament. Onesimus is with Paul. And Paul looks to Onesimus and says, now that you're a Christian, you need to make your wrongs right. Even though your sins have been forgiven that you've sinned by the Lord, you have some wrongs you have to right with people. And he sends him back to Philemon. See, Philemon is the third character that we look at in this text. He was the slave owner. He was a wealthy man. And what we know a little bit about Onesimus was, or Philemon, was he had a large enough house to host the church of Colossae. So wealthy business owner had a large enough house to host the church, the early church. He had slaves, and that usually was a sign of wealth as well. And so saying that, we're in this position where Paul is writing to Philemon begging Philemon to handle the situation in a Christ-like manner. And he's trying to persuade Philemon to forgive Onesimus. Onesimus was the runaway slave who stole from the slave owner and then took off without any word to Philemon. Saying that, there is some bad blood in between these two, obviously. But Paul is asking for, number one, for Philemon to be forgiving, but also he's asking for Onesimus to have the desire and the humility to seek forgiveness, to right these wrongs. There's a moment that is set up here where we're going to have a moment where Onesimus and Philemon have an option to be courageous to be cowards reminds me of a story that happened back in 2012 there was a boat captain and this boat captain's name was Francesco Schettino and his boat hit a structure in 2012 and began to sink it began to sink and ultimately 32 people died in this wreck of the Costa Concordia but saying that What's interesting, what's really unheard of about the shipwreck is as the ship was going under, rather than the captain staying on board to guide everybody out and make sure that his crew and all of the passengers were safe, what does he do? He comes up with this story and the story was this. He somehow, while trying to do the courageous thing, fell out of the boat. And he happened to fall out of the boat and strike himself unconscious on a lifeboat in which he fell Onto And somehow that lifeboat on its own ran away from the boat itself. And when he gets up, he can hear the Coast Guard begging him. And we can listen to recordings of this. The Coast Guard begging him to return back to the boat, to which he replied that he did not have the ability to get back to the sinking ship. That is absolutely preposterous. What happened was he had a moment to be courageous but rather he became a coward. And I think as Christians, we often have very similar moments where we have opportunities to be courageous, but rather we are cowardly. Rather than standing up for the Lord, rather than standing up for what is right, we stand up with the majority. And I think, church, that puts us in a bad place often. All Christians are called to be leaders and leaders have to do uncomfortable things. So saying that, Christians must expect that we have to do uncomfortable things, find ourselves in uncomfortable, awkward moments. Now we have the opportunity to either act courageous for the Lord or like a coward. Saying that, we have this moment where you have the slave and the slave owner looking at this time in Rome. Two thirds of all who called Rome home were considered slaves. Slavery was incredibly common. It was a way to pay off a debt. You could sell yourself into slavery to pay off a debt. It was often what would happen when any sort of an army was conquered, because remember Rome was an army powerhouse. They would bring back those inhabitants to Rome and allow them to live in slavery rather than killing them. So there was all of this normalcy behind slavery but really there was a lot of rules about slaves. Slaves are obviously considered less than their owner, but Rome had some laws where slaves had to be treated with some respect. So there was some mutual respect initially from Onesimus and Philemon. But here's what I want just to go ahead and tackle. We recognize that we are in a time of racial tension. And can I tell you that the Lord hates times like this? He hates times where people, anybody of his children is being oppressed. He hates it when people feel oppressed and he hates it when any Christian thinks it is their duty to oppress someone else. If you have any question where the Lord stands on slavery, look at Exodus chapter 21, verse six. Whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. See, we see scripture often being used to somehow condone slavery, but it never condones slavery. It never condones racism. I don't see a savior that condones racism of any kind, and neither should the church. And so what's interesting is Paul's essentially attacking this moment of prejudice. Now, at the time, slavery had nothing to do with the color of your skin. It really had more to do about your wealth and your social status. If you couldn't afford to live in Rome, you often found yourself because of debt in a slave status. So saying that, this is more about Wealth and the way that we look at people that are wealthy versus the way that we look at people that are poor and the way that they interact with one another. And the early church had this issue because the early church had slaves and slave owners going to church together. And while they were worshiping the Lord, they were considering one another equal. But then come Monday, they went back to the same role. And everybody was trying to figure out what was the Christ-like thing to do. Because remember, the early church all of a sudden has a completely new game that they have to go by because the way of the Jews is no longer the righteous way. It's no longer the way of God. And so they're trying to figure out how to handle the ways of Christ and what would Jesus do in this situation? And as Paul is trying to address this, I love that he doesn't simply try to attack racism and tell Onesimus or Philemon exactly what to do. Rather, what he knew was this. In order to change the culture, he had to first change someone's heart. Before we attack laws, we have to touch the hearts of our community. You recognize that we can attack all of the laws. We can try to put rules out left and right. We can try to put all of these different guidelines for everyone to go by. But guess what? Until we attack the heart of the person, we will never see the world become a better place. We must first look for a heart change in order for that to in turn become a culture change. Do you recognize that we are trying to push viewpoints down people's throats rather than being concerned about if their soul belongs to Jesus or not? That's a problem. The Christian community, we care more about our morals and our platform being heard rather than the souls of the people that we come into contact with. And I hope and pray that we as Emmanuel Baptist Church and we as Christians within our own community do not simply worry about platforms. We do not simply see issues out there, but rather the number one issue that we see and we're concerned with is the state of the heart of the people that surround us. Can we make that that our number one goal rather than anything else. Once again, Paul had a burdened heart for the people. And in turn, he was able to have a cultural shift because he cared about the state of their heart. This is the most personal letter that Paul writes because he's talking to a dear friend about a dear friend. See, Philemon was another man that came into contact with Paul at one point and Paul led Philemon to the Lord. And so he knows he's talking to a fellow brother in Christ. Philemon has no idea that he has in turn made a relationship with Onesimus, the runaway slave. And now he's writing Philemon by the delivery person, Onesimus. So he writes the letter, gives it to Onesimus to deliver to Philemon. This is incredibly personal. Now let's look at Philemon verse one, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother to Philemon, our beloved and fellow worker. First thing I have to hit is labels matter to the Lord. Labels matter to the Lord and labels mattered to Paul. And he wants to make sure that Philemon understands where he is. I am in prison for what I am doing. I am being imprisoned because I'm following after the Lord. But also when he says a prisoner for Christ Jesus, you might also say that Paul viewed that he was prisoned to Christ. He was chained to his mission. I love this. Verse 2, And Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow brother, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse four, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. So Paul wants to be persuasive, correct? He wants to have a persuasive conversation. He wants for this letter to persuade Philemon to do something, to release Onesimus back to freedom so that in turn, Paul can utilize Onesimus because Onesimus has become a great tool for Paul in getting the gospel out. Saying this, he is trying to persuade. What is the first step in persuasion? Prayer. Paul starts off with, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. We have to understand if we want to persuade people We must be first praying for them. And can you hear me very closely? Let's not just be praying for people to listen to us. Let's not just be praying for those people to be persuaded to our argument, but let's be praying for them, for their well-being, for God to bless them. Let's be praying for the status of their heart as well. Let's truly love the people that we are trying to persuade. So he prays for him first and foremost. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a hard time talking to your friends about Jesus? All of us have. But can I give you something to really think on today? You will never be able to talk to your friends about Jesus until you've talked to Jesus about your friends. I want you guys to understand this. Prayer must go before. Prayer brings power to persuasion. Verse five, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Verse seven, for I have derived much joy and comfort From your love, my brother, because the heart of your saints have been refreshing to you. So, what we read just there is Paul encouraging Philemon. He's not encouraging Philemon to do anything, he's just encouraging Philemon for what Philemon has already done. That's a novel idea. See, if we want to be persuasive to people, We first need to be praying for them. Next, we need to be encouraging to them. We need to encourage them for things that they've done, for who they are, for positive things that they have done for us, for the community, for the Lord. Listen, nobody wants to talk to somebody that is always a Debbie Downer, that's always negative. People like people that like them, amen? And when you're not liked by somebody, it's pretty difficult for you to degenerate some sort of a desire to like them if they don't like you. Saying this, we must be encouraging as Christians. We must strive to encourage the world that we're around. And I don't mean just encourage them to be like us. I mean, actually be encouraging to them. See, it's funny, but I know a pastor that travels all over the country. He's a very popular speaker and he runs marathons. And the reason why he runs marathon isn't because he loves running, he hates running. But he told me one time, the reason why he likes to run marathons is because it's the most encouraging place that he ever gets to be. Because a marathon is full of people that want to see you succeed. They're full of people that care about you because even though they've never known you, they've never met you, they know what your goal is and they want to see you accomplish it. And I wish the church was more like that. See, do you recognize why social media is so popular? Social media is so popular because you can get instant gratification. You can receive instant encouragement. The moment that you place a post up on any social media site, what do you begin to do? You wait for the thumbs up. You wait for the likes. You wait for the positive comments. You only are on social media because you enjoy being encouraged and encouraging Others And I hope that the church can begin to beat Facebook in this category where we become a place that is encouraging to one another. But listen to this. Paul simply doesn't just encourage him and applaud him, but let's read in verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sakes I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. What does he just say here? I can make you do what I want you to do. I can make you do what I want you to do, but I don't wanna make you do anything. The Lord doesn't wanna force our hand to be obedient. The Lord wants us to love him enough to naturally decide to be obedient, to choose him over ourselves. If the Lord, forced us to do his will if the Lord forced us to do the right thing if the Lord forced us to serve him would he find any pleasure in that no the Lord wants us to choose to follow him and this is what Paul is saying here he's saying Philemon I can make you do the right thing but I care about your motive the Lord cares about your motive and we want for you to examine your own heart to lead in this manner, to discern what is right and to do the right thing on your own accord. The gospel cares about your motive, not just your actions. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So he says, I led him to the Lord while I was in prison. Verse 11, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. See, This is this moment that is going to blow Philemon away because Philemon knows this runaway as a thief, as a liar, as a problem. But here's what's interesting. The word Onesimus is an incredibly common slave name, and often masters would give this name to their slave when they had earned it because it meant useful. And if they found a slave to be useful, they would name him Onesimus. Often that became the right hand to the slave owner. Saying this, Paul writes to him and says, he was once useless, but now I find him useful. And he's trying to persuade Philemon to not look at who he once was as the failure, but rather, to look at him who who he is now. He is redeemed, he is sanctified, he is justified before the Lord. And I think that is something that we have to remember because remember, Paul is persuading Philemon to forgive Onesimus. And when we are being persuaded by the Holy Spirit to forgive others, I think we need to remember that people are a new creation in Christ. And if people can change and people can repent And I know we love to use this phrase. This is an East Texas phrase if I ever heard one. If the mule kicks you once, it's the mule's fault. But if the mule kicks you twice, it's your fault. And what that means is that if somebody has hurt you repeatedly, you should have nothing to do with them because if you have anything to do with them again and they hurt you, you just look foolish. Here's what I want for us to understand church. The Lord has never thrown us away no matter how many times we failed him. And I hope that as a church, as Christians, we never give up on people. I know this is hard. I know this is difficult, but aren't you glad that you serve a Jesus that has never, ever given up on you? God can save the biggest sinner. Mm, verse 12. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. What he's saying here is he's saying, I'm actually sending you my heart. I'm sending you someone that I care about, somebody that I need, somebody that I depend on. Verse 13, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be compulsion of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever." No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And here's what he's saying. He's saying this man is no longer a thief in the eyes of Christ. And if you would like him to remain with you. Don't treat him as a slave anymore. Treat him as a brother in Christ. Let's not handle these statuses anymore. Let's look at everybody as equal in the kingdom of God and let's care about them as if they were our brothers. And how would we want for our own brother to be treated? We would want him to be treated with forgiveness for his wrongdoings. And that's how Paul is pleading with Philemon to treat Onesimus. The gospel makes us family. Do you hear this? The gospel makes us family no matter what color, no matter what race, no matter what background, no matter what crazy thoughts or opinions or political party people choose. The gospel makes us family. And Philemon had the power to be a coward or to be courageous, to get even or to show Forgiveness. We've got to read verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. See, what's crazy is, is that Philemon more than likely looked at Paul as a leader. He looked at him as almost a superior. In saying that, he'd go and treat him with the absolute same respect. So if you consider me your partner... My goodness, God, the gospel makes us partners. One body of Christ. We have to recognize that we are stronger together. When we go through crisis, we pull together. We do not pull apart. How well would a football team do if they got in a fight during the huddle? Not very well. But if the football team was united, if they had unity amongst them, all striving for the same goal, loving one another enough to play a selfless Gain, we would find success. That's what I'm hoping that we find in this text. Verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes anything to you, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. Do you hear this? Do you hear that Paul's going, I love this guy. I care about this guy. This guy is making much of the gospel and that's what we care about. We care about the fact that he is now a part of the family of God and his debts are now my debts. Does this not look like the gospel to you? Does this not look like the gospel? Onesimus had a debt that he couldn't pay. And Paul comes in and pays the debt in full. If he has any debt, I will pay it. But now this puts Philemon in this weird situation to where all of a sudden, his friend takes the side of the person who has wronged him. See, I think that for Philemon, this was personal because he felt personally attacked, personally wronged by Onesimus. Philemon had never done anything wrong according to the law to Onesimus, but Onesimus, had to Philemon. But what does Paul say? We are now brothers, partners in the kingdom, partners in Christ. Verse 20. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. (laughs) At the same time, prepare a guest room for me from I am hoping That your prayers, I will graciously be given to you. You see this? He's saying, listen, I'm hoping that you're going to do the right thing. You're going to be accountable because I'm willing to come and see you. Do you recognize that we are accountable for our obedience? Our lack of obedience to the Lord will always be brought to the light. We can never hide undetected in the kingdom of God because God is always aware. And I believe that more Christians are aware when we are un, un, or disobedient. The gospel requires accountability. accountability. Verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristocros, Demis, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. you guys recognize that the gospel makes us partners, we are one body of Christ and we have to recognize that we are stronger together. He's saying, I expect that you're going to do the right thing because it is critical. Listen, we're not going to force you to do the right thing, but we expect that you will because you have to understand the urgency We need for you to treat him and to be an example that you treat him the way that Jesus has treated you. We need for you to forgive him, recognizing that he is now a new creation. Do you wanna know something absolutely insane? The insane thing about this is that Onesimus actually became a senior pastor of one of the early churches. Onesimus, who was once a lying thief, Now becomes the senior pastor. Do you recognize what the gospel can do when we love, when we forgive, when we show mercy? What would have happened if Philemon would have been selfish and kept Onesimus to himself and would not have forgiven and would have chosen to get even? The gospel would not have gone forward through Onesimus in the way that it could have. Philemon did the right thing and released him. We can find in secular records that Onesimus was a very popular pastor in the early church. What a glorious thing to think about. Romans 13, 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling the law. Proverbs ten twelve, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than someone would lay down his life for his friends. So what do we recognize are the four steps of forgiveness? Four steps of forgiveness, here we go. We recognize that no one is perfect. Paul points out that Philemon was once without Christ as well. He says, Philemon, you were once lost as well. I remember when you didn't have a relationship with the Lord, just like Onesimus, when he didn't have a relationship with the Lord and he did wrongs to you. And what's the next thing? Relinquish your right to get even. Don't try to get even. Don't be a coward. Be courageous and respond to the evil with good. Philemon releases him to return to Paul. And then what do we do? We refocus on God's plan for your and their life. So what do we do? We recognize no one's purpose. We relinquish our rights to get even. We respond to the evil with good and we refocus on God's plan to our life and their life. We get back to work. I hope that you are persuaded today that as people wrong you, as people disagree with you, that you will not, Be a coward and hold it against him, but rather you will show forgiveness, caring more about the state of their heart than winning the argument. And as we are having so many debates in our community, in our culture, and our world, my hope, my prayer is this today, church. My hope and prayer is that we will cast off every weight that binds, not making much of anything that doesn't make much of the gospel, but rather choosing to grab a hold of the gospel and being concerned about people's Hearts above all else. That's how Christ would act. When we are dealing with these cultural issues that we are facing today. I pray that we choose to handle them in light of the gospel. Working in the way in which Christ would work. Because you are a representation of Christ. Because the Holy Spirit resides in you. And lastly, as we are about to be dismissed. If you have any questions about your debt being paid in full, like Paul was willing to pay for Onesimus, like Jesus paid your sin debt in full. Would you please contact us at info at Marshall.com or you can go ahead and send us a message. Hey, listen, will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to get into your word. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to see how you told Philemon to handle such a cultural issue. And Lord, we are grateful that we have the opportunity to forgive because we have been forgiven. Lord, I pray that we make much of you above all else. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.